So good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is March 31st, 2022. Tonight's word is titled The Vine Revelations. That's not divine revelations, though it is, but the vine revelations. So turn to John 15, and we're going to pick up in verse 1 as we get started this evening. You can say vine as you're turning there. All right, verse 1 reads, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Amen? Amen. It must remain to the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So tonight, my goal is to remind you of your great call in Christ, that he is the true vine from whom all heavenly authority and heavenly nourishment is given. Our king has called us to go and bear fruit. And tonight I want to tell you, church, that you can. You can bear fruit. And you will bear fruit. Because it is already evident in your lives. Just worshiping together, we can see the fruit of a godly life bursting forth in praise. And I want to encourage you tonight that we are going to continue to do this as the days and weeks progress. When the Father put the staff of his authority in your hand, does that sound familiar? It was for the purpose of representing him and bringing him glory through much fruit. Fruitfulness in our marriages, fruitfulness in our teams, fruitfulness in our commission to bring hungering souls into an on-fire walk for King Jesus, the Messiah. As we lean on the staff that God has placed in our hands, we will not fail to bear fruit. And we will raise up a harvest that is connected to the same vine that we came from. We're going to get into generations today. We're going to talk about looking into the mirror, dealing with our double-mindedness so that we can walk in our divine appointment. But for now, let me help you with the perspective shift as we get started. This call to bear fruit in his name is not just a situation-to-situation basis, but rather on a generation-to-generation basis. Now, to unpack this tonight, let's take a quick look at a few passages that echoes this in full voice. You may recall Psalm 145, verse 4, that says, One generation commends your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. Church, this is how the staff of God is transferred from one generation to the next. There's a bold announcement of what God has done in one generation that is declared through speech and displayed through mighty acts of faith. Amen. We both have to tell our children. We both have to tell those that we are bringing up in the faith what God has done. But what is it accompanying that testimony is a real proof by action that it is true and it is actively at work in our lives. You want to teach a kid how to drive a car, he gets in the passenger seat with his dad and watches him drive. If you want to teach him how to ha handle a hammer, he has to watch his father work a hammer. Yeah. This is how we teach our children. It is both by speech 
and by action. You may recall Abraham in Genesis 18. Verse 19 says, I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Abraham was chosen so he could what? Direct his children and his household. I'm suggesting that the same is true of you tonight. That he has chosen you to direct your children and your household for fruitfulness for years to come long after you're gone. So how much of Abraham's life was really about him? Or maybe ask yourself the same question. How much of your life is really about you? Was Abraham not Adonai's friend? He was his friend. And it was Abraham's faithfulness that was a starting point for all nations to being blessed. Why I am pointed at encouragement is because there is obviously discouragement in the room. That you may not be able to pass on something great through uh, your generations. But I promise you, what the word declares is that you absolutely will, church. You absolutely will if we are connected to the vine. Because when the Lord called you and put the staff in your hand, were you not overwhelmed with his kindness? Overwhelmed that he actually called you? Look, I, I've lived everywhere. I've grown up through in Oklahoma. I even lived in Texas for a little bit when I was younger. I lived in Hawaii. I've traveled all over the place. And I've kind of been unconnected everywhere that I went. With all my, my awkward upbringing, the Lord still chose me from that. Have you ever told people whenever you're telling them about Jesus, like, I wouldn't have picked me? We need to go back to reflecting on how kind the Lord is to call us into this room and to call us to this body. He didn't have to call you to Sugarland, Texas to be a part of life-changing ministries, but he did. And that begs the question, then what was the purpose? Well, we know the purpose. It was to bear much fruit. Now, in 2 Samuel 7, David has just been promised by Adonai that he would be one family and that he would be used to be a representative to all generations. He also was promised that one of his generations was going to sit on the throne forever and that God would establish it forever. In 2 Samuel 7, it says in verse 18 that then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family? That you have brought me this far. And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? Yes, because the Lord chose him. When the Lord chooses you, he will shower you with kindness. And he gives you the promise that he will bless your generations after you. Adonai had always planned to bless David and his generations, and he also steered the course of David's heart to a place of humility before him. This is where we want to be as we look at how the Lord has blessed this ministry, has blessed our families, is look how far you have brought me. Is this how you usually deal with people, Lord? Because the kindness is so overwhelming that it has brought me to a place of absolute humility before you. You see how David is turning any glory that could be brought to himself for being a great king and saying, no, Lord, it is because your kindness, because of your faithfulness. When you have a heart after the Lord and you know that he has caused you to prosper, even though you have moments of waywardness, 
you must respond the way that David did in verse 20. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant. (laughs) You know everything about me, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. According to his will, according to or for the sake of his word, we are going to walk in his promises as families who have submitted their life to the Lord. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is none like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. You know, there really is no words. Not much more to say when you reflect on how the Lord has blessed you and has blessed your home. And you have to say, how great is our king? How great is our king? We can further this in Psalm 78, which many are familiar with. O people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He has decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. When we live in a situation-to-situation basis, when it's, I'm just trying to get things right in my home so I don't have to have a bad Tuesday, or I have to get things right with my children before this next meeting so I don't look like a fool at the meeting, We miss the whole point of raising children in righteousness and thinking about the, uh, let's use children. We're raising our children not just to obey for one meeting. We're teaching them what obedience looks like over a whole lifetime. So that long after we're gone, they will remember as they are raising their children, the statutes and decrees and the standards that their father and mother instilled in them. So this is what moved my heart this week. And it actually cured my situation-to-situation mindset. And it narrow, that was narrowing my focus on my call in Christ. I had gotten into the little details of just trying to live meeting-to-meeting. Meeting, just trying to live situation-to-situation. Situation, and missing the whole point of what God had actually called me for. Uh, and how my life's supposed to end. And I'm thankful that the scriptures are redirecting it. Because it has nothing to do... Uh, with perfection now and hell tomorrow it has everything to do with fighting for perfection now letting the lord lead us to a place where he is glorified from generation to generation Amen. and i want us to take hold of that generation to generation perspective as we move forward so many saints in this room are running with all of their heart to bear fruit we've had lunch with many of you this week we've had dinner in homes We've had times to set at this church after services or after foundations. I know that you were running with all of your heart to bear fruit. I know that you were struggling and uh, agonizing the good agony. Many of you are sick or have been fighting with sicknesses. And that has not stopped your fiery faith from producing action. And I I commend you for that because the Father is watching it. And he's instilling something in us in this season that is not just for our blessing, but also for the blessing of the generations that are coming after us. But I know you're struggling. 
So why, time and time again, does despair seem to set in when you fall short or things are difficult or you have failures exposed? He's either chosen you like Abraham or he is not. But if you're in this room, I'm sure that you know that he's already called you. Do you believe that he's already called you? He's already put the staff of his authority in your hand. And you've already been commissioned to go and bear fruit. So why the contrast? Why the high highs and why the low lows in our walk in Christ? Well, it's been my observation and my own encounter with the word and also from pastoral guidance in this church that the father is highlighting double-mindedness that is snuck in as a thief to steal, kill, and destroy our call to transfer that fruitfulness from generation to generation. So let me ask you tonight, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Picture yourself, regular, an old guy, you may see physical attributes, you may see uh, a very older version of a young person you once knew, but let's go a little deeper. Do you see someone who's scared and faithless when you look in the mirror? Do you think of yourself as a failing father and a frail husband? Do you see yourself as a man who will never find revelation from the word or even be a man who has the character to stand up and preach the word? Don't think I'm leaving the women out. Women, when you look in the mirror, do you see a woman who's insecure in just the way that she looks? Do you see a woman who's just trying to be a good mom, but constantly questions if she will raise competent men and women of God? Are you constantly sobered when you look in the mirror because of the one that is looking back at you? Well, looking in the mirror is a pretty difficult task sometimes. You might be uh, a person who doesn't like what you see. You may even despise the person that you see in the mirror. And the truth is, you're probably right. Probably right that you despise the person that you see. But here's the turn. You have to remember, that person that you are despising is not what you will become in Christ. With everything that you see that you can find fault with, Christ still died and paid his life to redeem you from that way of life. He died to redeem you. He chose you. In your muck and mire, he still called you higher. And he's pulling us up from the depths of despair. But we do have to have a sobering reality to look in the mirror and have a revelation of our sinful nature. But realize he didn't call us to stay in that state. He called us to become something that looked exactly like him. To think that you are defined by one failure is to diminish the work of Christ. To minimize the sanctifying work in your journey of salvation. Now let's get even more personal. If you think those questions were pointed at you, maybe they were, but they were my own reflections. When I think about raising Barzillai, do you guys love Bars? Yeah. I love my son. Right there, he knows I'm talking about him. There are times in raising Barzillai where I am absolutely discouraged, and I feel that my efforts are going, uh, are turning out fruitless. 
like, man, what am I doing wrong? If, am, I missing, am I missing something here? Am I missing something there? Lord, teach me, show me. I want to get this right. But even while I was putting this message together, Barzillai had a, had a meltdown. And uh, I was a little distraught because I'm thinking about the generations and how I'm passing on a mantle, a staff to my son, and he's going to take it so much further. But if I think situation to situation, it's very hard to see the light at the end of a t- uh, the tunnel because he's throwing a fit. But I have to remember this is about generation to generation. So when I'm directing my son, I'm not trying to maim him. I'm trying to teach him to become the man that he will be. And it changes the way that we correct our children. Because even in that situation, there was epic rebellion and there was epic discipline to follow it. But what the Lord had already shared with me before that is do not lose heart in this one. You are the man of the hour. You are his father. You will teach him and he will become great. You have to trust the process and the fruit that will come from your diligence. So never forget that you are at war with an enemy. And that enemy wants to crush your call. He wants to crush your children. He wants to keep your staff from budding. He wants to sever you and your generation's connection to the true vine. That is his goal. If he can separate you from your source of life, then he knows that you will shrivel up and die in due time. He also wants to do that to our children. That's why he's going after marriages. If you look at statistics on how many marriages fail in this country and globally, it's shocking. And it shouldn't be. But that's because the enemy has found a place to affect the generation that's coming after this one. And if he can destroy the home and the foundation that a life is supposed to be discipled in, then he has a leg up on the competition. But in this house, we are cultivating strong marriages. We're cultivating strong parenting. Fathers are leading their wives. Fathers are leading their children. And we have beautiful wives who are an easer to their leader. With all this, what do we do? What do we do? I found the answer in James 4, picking up in verse 7. As you're turning there, why don't you say, vine? James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So who here, if I can get some participation, who here is striving to be called of Christ? Who in here is striving to be the best example of Christ to their spouse? Who in this room is striving to be the head of their household? I gotcha. That's not really fair. Because the truth is, you are those things. You don't have to try to be the head of your household or strive to be the head of your household. You are. God appointed you. You are the man. You don't have to strive to be an example of Christ to your wife. You are the man or the woman that God put in their lives to be the example. That's because we have a divine appointment from our father. 
when we think about double-mindedness, we end up with two minds. The problem is not that you have two minds or that you're double-minded. The problem is that you allow those double-minded thoughts to remain. The thought that you are the head of household. God appointed you. But the double-minded trick is to think that you have to fight for that position. You are the head of your household. Mothers, you are an authority for your children under the direction of your husband. We don't have to fight for these positions to make them a reality. God has chose you for that purpose. It is a present reality that we are living in. The Lord has not given you his staff of authority only to take it away from you during times when you don't feel called or you don't feel anointed. He has given you his staff and it hasn't gone anywhere because it is presently right now still in your hand. Now let's continue to go a little deeper. Your opinion of yourself and your household and your job and your parenting and your relationship with your brothers, how you relate to your, your tough meeting groups, your opinion about yourself is probably wrong. Your feelings in any situation are probably wrong. Your fears about your marriage failing and not succeeding, they are definitely wrong. Your discouragement about your children is probably right. But if you think that they're going to stay that way forever, then you're wrong. It's because our first guess about a situation that the Lord has not directed is always wrong. That's because we often have two minds about any given situation. But if the word and the spirit is leading us, we can be sure of a fruitful harvest. It may not look like victory from situation to situation, but I cannot encourage you enough tonight that a life of faithfulness will absolutely bear fruit from generation to generation. Amen. You guys, are you, am, I, am I touching on anything in the week? Yeah. That maybe you're discouraged whenever something doesn't go right in your home and you feel like that's going to define the rest of your life. But that negates all the faithfulness that God has brought you, all his faithfulness to you that brought you up to this point. You're fighting on a higher level. You're dealing with sinful nature, your sinful nature, your Nabal traits on a deeper level. And so the stakes are a little bit higher. The beast is getting a little bit bigger, a little bit uh, a little bit more difficult to uncover because he's able to hide his face. Have you found yourself praying and just trying to figure out why you're so frustrated about a situation and you just don't understand? You're trying to encourage your brother and you don't know why you can't have insight into their life? I mean, I, I do this daily. I'm frustrated about a situation because I know it's wrong, but I'm fighting in my own strength to get a revelation from the Lord for them. Well, I can't hear from the Lord because I have two minds about the subject. I have what the word says, and then I have what I think. And the Lord is going to help us correct that in our hearts, in our homes, in our marriages, in our teams, in the way that we represent Christ to the world. Because when we are connected to him, the vine, we can be confident that he's going to speak to us. He's going to give you what you need in the moment. 
He's going to allow you to catalog every revelation that he's spoken to you as you've been connected to the vine. And it'll be a storehouse for you for the days ahead. And as we travail on this road, there's also new revelation, new fruit that is being produced that we can bring out and share with those around us. When we live this way, you do not have to despise the man that you see in the mirror. Do you remember thinking about what you see in the mirror? Honestly, I don't look in the mirror that often. I brush my teeth, throw some wax in my hair, throw on some deodorant, and then I'm out the door. But there, there is a, an internal mirror that I look at when I weigh my actions and I examine myself. And I honestly despise the wicked, sinful Nabal traits that always rear their head. And if you're anything like me, they always show up in the worst moments, like preparing for this message. Yes, Lord, I'm going to, to share your word. Man, it's not about performance, but I'm also prepping because I'm nervous. <laughs> Trying to find just the right words because I'm nervous. I don't want to look silly. But I also have my son with me, so he's, he's my homiletic for the sermon. But then he's rebellious, and I immediately am angry. <laughs> and because I have a word to preach tonight, I want to just set my son aside, like, you, you got to be quiet. You got to go away. I can't handle both. Because I was despising the man that I knew that I was being, it was also affecting my son. And that's just no way to live. That's not really fair to him. And it's not what God called me and chose me for. I didn't choose him. I didn't wake up today and say, God, I choose to preach your word. I choose to live a godly life. Because he chose me to do it. So now my response is a privilege to walk in the way of the Lord. It is a privilege and an honor to lay down my life for my family. To lay down my life for my brothers. To dig into his word and ask him to show me something. And then even as I'm delivering it, Lord, would you put something on my mouth that will bless the body. But as you think about that mirror, many of you are familiar with James 1. We're going to pick up in verse 22. James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says... It's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, that's right, Lincoln, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but actually doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So this is the cure for our double-mindedness, when we are two minds about one subject, when we are two minds about how to direct our households, when we are of two minds of how to direct our children, when we are two minds about a decision that we are trying to make, we have to make sure that what we have heard as, and seen as we've looked into the perfect law, that when we turn from it, we don't forget. We don't forget when we're frustrated. We don't forget that we are called to be the pastor of our home because things are difficult or we're busy at work. We don't forget to show loving sternness 
and controlled, godly discipline that is word-based when our children are frustrating us? Or is, is, that, is that anyone in here or is it just me? That I can be the anointed man of the hour, full of revelation, feel myself so wise until I'm frustrated. And then I get really, really dumb. I get really stupid. I say things that I shouldn't. I do things that I shouldn't. And even if I have the right action, it's done with the wrong motive. It's done with the wrong heart. We all know that the Lord weighs what? The heart. I can't tell you how much it's convicted me. It was actually something that uh, Elder Eric shared about our testimony about ourselves is never valid. How we feel in any given situation is usually wrong. What matters is if God is pleased with the meditation of your heart, if he's pleased with how you actually conduct yourself, whether it sounds amazing or it doesn't. If I get up here and preach an amazing word, and there's applause and pats on the back, and that was a great word, but I know in my heart I am operating in a pride that is self-exaltation, I may fool you, but I don't fool God. And I'll have to go to bed tonight knowing that he is displeased with how I handled myself especially how I handled myself in front of the body. Or I could get up here and absolutely kick the can down the road and feel myself a failure, but do exactly what he asked me to do. Man, that's where we can find validation. Whether, whether it was good or bad, if I please the Father, I know that he is happy with me and that's enough for me. That's enough for me tonight. As I share this with you, knowing that God is pleased is enough. And as we get closer to an altar call tonight, your response, whatever it would be as he's ministering to you now, respond in a way that you know that he would be pleased. Respond in a way that is in faith. Lord, I didn't want to deal with this when I came in here tonight, but I am here in your presence with the body of believers, and I want to deal with it because I know that it's what you're calling me to do. Our performance is based on what the word says and what our father has directed it's not performance based on your opinion. It's not feelings after you do something for the Lord. Uh, the validation of it is not based on how you feel about it. Good outcome or bad outcome. If we know the Father who weighs the heart is pleased with us, then what does it matter if your performance was perfect or not? I'd rather try and fail than fail by never trying at all. Obedience to the word is our litmus test for a day's success. Sick kids, sick wife, difficult day at work, great day at work, people hate you, people malign you, people applaud you and tell you you're a champ. That is not what determines a day's success. Obedience to the word determines a day's success. I have to ask you, in light of what I'm telling you, have you been walking in your divine appointment or not? Are you leaning on your staff or not? Because in the moments that you don't feel anointed, on the days that you feel that you are a failure, on the days when you are physically and mentally spent and you don't think you can formulate one coherent thought, you have to hear the word from your king. This is John 15. Picking up in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you Amen. 
And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Go and love each other. Love each other. Live a life that is wide open to the body of Christ, not sheltered as you conceal your own insecurities. Because it has nothing to do with how you feel on a given moment. It has nothing to do with your feelings on the status of your marriage. It has everything to do with weighing your life against the plumb line that is the word of God. And if it lines up, then you praise him. And if it doesn't, you praise him and you repent and he will restore you. Because his goal was always that you would go and bear fruit. God did not choose you so that you could have a difficult marriage for your whole life, a difficult life worrying about your kids long after they're out of, their, out of the house. He chose you to bear fruit, fruit that will last long after you're gone, long after your verbal input is even possible. And I can't tell you how much when my pastors are gone, unless I beat them, that's kind of a goal. Maybe I can beat you to the throne Maybe I can die for Christ. That is, that is my, my heart's desire. But, for example, long after they're gone, how is their legacy going to be uh, eternal, passed on generation to generation? Because when I'm sitting with my son, he's hearing his father tell him something that his father told him, that his father told him, something that has been tried and true of, through men of God, and now it's being passed on to the next generation. Amen. Much like what I'm telling you tonight, it's not my own revelation. It's things that have been given to me that have ministered to my heart that came from my pastors. And what a privilege it is to stand up here knowing that the good things that I have to say are actually a gift that I was given to say, both from the Lord and from the men who the Lord spoke to and gave it to me. So you have to grab hold that he chose you tonight, that he chose us to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last from generation to generation. Do not let the man in the mirror set your destiny. Amen. What you see whenever you, before you go to bed tonight, and you look at yourself and you see someone who's very tired, distraught, insecure, afraid of tomorrow. That man or that woman does not define your destiny. Let his word give you hope. Let his word set your destiny. Let it give you freedom and direct your course where it's supposed to go. Now, this evening, is the time to lean into the staff. It's time to lean into the call. Lean into your brothers and take hold of your high calling in Christ to go do what? Bear fruit. So as we near close this evening, I want to share with you a passage that has directed the course of my heart this week. Many of you are very familiar with it because I've told you every conversation that we've had. <laughs> this is Proverbs 21. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5. We may go another hour. We may go 10 minutes. We'll see. I just want to share with you some of the insights that I've gotten from this and how it's been applicable in every situation. It's been applicable in every, every time I've had it. I've been in a moment where I needed to share a word with a brother. I realized the Lord had already given me something. Why? Because it was given to me as I am connected to the vine. But verse 1 in Proverbs 21 reads, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course 
wherever he pleases. Make it personal. My heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. As you think about what it looks like to have a water course, don't think he's rerouting a river. Think of it like a farmer, a skilled farmer that is directing tributaries and a small plot of grapes, and there's a trench dug down the middle, and he's taking one branch, one tributary, and he's taking it to this crop. And he's taking another small one, and he's watering this side of the vine. And then he's taking another one, and he's watering this side of the vine. And he's taking another one, and he's watering this side of the vine. This is how he's going to direct your heart. He's not trying to reroute the river of your heart. He wants to guide you like a stream. Every single day when you wake up, say, Lord, direct my heart where to go. My emotions are lying to me. How I feel about this situation is lying to me. My insecurities and my worries, and I don't know if I can do it attitude, I need you to guide my heart like a water course. I need you to show me the little areas that need to be watered, that need life-giving streams given to it. Lord, how might you direct a little bit of life to my wife this morning when I'm tired, when I have a million things to get to? This is how kings are directed. Let's pick up in verse 2, because <laughs> it's so good. All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. Can't tell you how much you think what you're doing is right, but you don't know if it's right until the word confirms it and the Lord affirms it. You have to know what's pleasing him. You have to know where he is directing your heart, where that stream is supposed to go for that day how your emotions are supposed to be, how you're supposed to feel about that action. And you cannot produce it in and of yourself. You have to have the Lord direct your heart. You have to have the Lord determine that for you and have enough faith and enough patience to set in his presence until he speaks to you. Because in verse 3 it says, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Is that a message for anyone in here tonight? Just to do what's right and good is much better than a massive sacrifice. I see the stream. It's a little good. It's good. It's right. It's good. It's right. What my heart thrives on are the great moments where you dig a new trench and you reroute the whole river and everyone's getting water. But that's not how the Lord has been directing me this week. He's trying to get me to humble myself. So he can direct my heart. It's like, Peyton, you have been walking real well, but kind of getting wayward because you've gotten a little too comfortable. You've gotten a little too overwhelmed. You've relied on your feelings about a situation and not relied on the word as much as you should. And I'm trying to correct you, but I don't want to have to shut off this stream and redig the trench in your life. Because he's a good father and he's not here to crush us and take the staff from our hand. He's trying to help us go and bear fruit, much fruit that will last. Verse 4 says, haughty eyes and a proud heart. The lamp of the wicked are sin. Does that read funny to anyone? I thought the righteous were the only ones that had a lamp. A lamp into your feet, a light into your path. But apparently, the wicked also have a lamp. But I can tell you that it does not lead to fruitfulness, it actually leads to emptiness and waywardness. 
because a man's ways seem right to him. So he feels himself to have a lamp unto his feet. That is vision. But if it's not directed by the farmer, if it's not directed by the father, then that water course is misdirected and it's watering crops that you don't want to grow. It's watering the weeds. And we don't have time to do that in the kingdom. Because the generations that are looking at our lives, they're watching to see what we do. And they're going to follow in that stream that we set for them. They're going to connect themselves to the vine that we connect ourselves to. If you are connected to your work, if you are connected to your comfort, if you're connected to your own will, then your children will want to connect to the things that you're connected to and they'll find their value in it. They need to be able to look at our lives and say, no, I don't want this in my life. My dad was never connected to that because at any moment he, he was seeking for something. He went to this book called the Bible and then he would pull out a revelation. He would sit down in the evening and he would teach us and he would direct our hearts. You see how that works? The father is directing the king's heart. Who's directing the sons in this house? The father's. We have an obligation and the great privilege to direct the watercourses of our children's hearts. Men, we get to direct our wives' hearts as the Lord is directing ours. It's how we make sure that we bear much fruit and what needs water in our lives is getting the water that it needs. And this is where we'll end tonight. This is verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. Yeah! As surely... As haste leads to poverty. Now, as you read that, you would think that it would say diligence leads to profit and laziness leads to uh, poverty. That's not what it says. It says haste leads to poverty. You know, what gets me about disciplining children or any situation in my life, I want to act in haste. I want to fix something in the moment, right now, put my foot down, this is the standard, and we go no further. I'm trying to fix what takes four years, might take a year, and I'm trying to fix it in five minutes. But five minutes of faithfulness does not result in fruitfulness. We have to work the soil every single day. We have to continue to cultivate our families. We have to continually cultivate our heart and trust Trust in the process. So when we say diligence leads to profit, this is diligence to stay connected to the vine. This is diligence to repent of double-mindedness and do this continually. This is the diligence in leaning on your staff and leaning into your brothers and knowing that it will always lead to profit. It may take a generation, but we will not fail to bear fruit, lasting fruit, if we stay connected to the vine and continue to fight for righteousness every single day that we wake up. So church, you can go ahead and stand to your feet. So let's bring back the mirror for just a moment. When you look in the mirror and you see deficiency, know that tonight you are being called higher. You're being called into what you will become. 
Faith is actually seeing those deficiencies and knowing that they are going to be turned to strength. You are not going to stay broken forever. If we stay connected to the vine, it will absolutely result in fruitfulness and fruit that will last. As we begin to worship, I want to tell you that this altar is open to renew your connection to the true vine. To let that water course of your heart be refined just a little bit to make sure that it's watering the areas of your life that it should. This altar is open to have your double-mindedness turn to single-mindedness. To come and worship the Lord and express your need for Him to direct the water course of your heart. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of your household and for the brothers that are around you. So that every heart in this room is directed at the right place. Church, He's called you to bear fruit, to run to the Lord, to run to Him, declare your praises to the King so he can empower you to walk in this divine appointment that we have. As we worship, let's worship with hearts that are humble before him as kings who want their heart to be directed towards the areas of their life that the good father and the good farmer absolutely knows needs to be cultivated. And I promise the more we do this in a lifetime of faithfulness, it'll both bear fruit in our lives and will continue to bear fruit in the children that are coming after us for generation to generation. Mighty God, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we thank you that you have given us an opportunity to have our hearts directed by you. Lord, we praise you that you chose us. You chose us before, before we even knew there was a possibility of knowing you. Yet, you did it anyways. Lord, even while we were in our broken state, you still died for us. Lord, you still gave us families. You gave us brothers to pour into and who pour into us. Lord, we want our lives to result in fruitfulness that becomes glory to you through generation to generation.